Thank you all for being here. It's good to see you. Excuse me. On this beautiful Sunday. I know it may cloud up later and a cold morning, but it's been a great day so far. And it's always a joy for me to be here with you and to welcome all of you to this place. And I hope that our time together today is well spent, that the Spirit of God will speak to our hearts and our needs, and that you'll go out and tell others about all the amazing things that are happening in and around this church. Our scripture lesson for today is a gospel reading, Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 9. And so I would like to ask you to stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel, Matthew 9, beginning with verse 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. And let me thank Brewer as well for the call to worship. He was here at 8.30 and stayed for the 11 o'clock service and uh, did a terrific job with that. Please let him know that when when you see him again. Last Sunday, we began an epiphany series of sermons based on an 1874 hymn, Wonderful Words of Life, by a guy named Philip Bliss. He was born in Clearfield City or Clearfield County, Pennsylvania in 1838. His father was Isaac Bliss, and Isaac Bliss was described as, in quotes, a practicing Methodist. I figure that's the best kind. I We all could use some more practice, including me, and I'm still learning. So uh, a practicing Methodist, I like that term. Isaac taught the family to pray daily. He loved music, and he encouraged Philip to develop his passion for singing. And in 1857, Philip met J.G. Towner, who taught singing, and he, Towner, recognized Philip Bliss's abilities, his musical abilities, and gave him his first formal voice training. And then he met William Bradbury, and some of you may be familiar with that name if you've looked at and thought about and studied old church hymns for a while. Bradbury persuaded Bliss to become a music teacher, and in 1858 he met Lucy Young, whom he married the next year. She came from a musical family, and she encouraged him and assisted him in the development of all of his musical abilities and talents. She was a Presbyterian, and Bliss joined her church. Now, a lesser person might say that was predestination and he didn't have a choice, but I would, <laughs> I would never imply such a thing. But uh, in 1869, Bliss became associated with another name that you might recognize, Dwight L. Moody. Moody urged him to give up his, quote, day job and to become a missionary singer. And all of this name dropping to say that Philip Bliss became a composer of hymns in large part because of all the people who encouraged him and helped him and 
mentored him, supported him along the way. And perhaps some of us have some folks we need to thank. That's not the main focus of the sermon today, but maybe there's some folks who never gave up on us. Some folks who encouraged us, who saw some things in us we didn't see in ourselves. And just maybe we have some supportive and encouraging words that somebody needs to hear. So uh, ask the Spirit to direct you. Pay attention and you'll know who those folk are. In addition to wonderful words of life, Bliss also wrote, Jesus loves even me. Let the lower lights be burning. And he wrote the music for it is well with my soul. And now a couple of notes from last week. First, words are important. What we say and what we do is powerful and makes a difference. It matters. Words are powerful. They can become instruments of encouragement and uplifting and support. But they can also become weapons of mass destruction. So let's weigh our words carefully. Secondly, our word of life for last week was love. Love more than a feeling. Love a deliberate acting on behalf of others that contributes to their well-being. A desire to first do no harm and secondly to do good to all others. Love is a wonderful word of life. And it's one of those wonderful words of life that will go toe to toe with any word of death, any word of destruction anywhere at any time. And our life word for today is mercy. Next week, our life word is grace, and we'll, we'll talk about that then. But mercy, and how do we define the word? And there are a couple of things that came to mind for me this week. One was a movie that was recommended to me by two folks that I respect greatly. I respect their opinions. And Mickey and I went to see the movie yesterday afternoon, and it's called Just Mercy. And the two words I left thinking when I left there were this is painful and powerful. So think about that if you get a chance. And I'd be interested in knowing what you what you think about that movie. And then on a little bit of a lighter note, I remember one of my seminary professors whose favorite expression in the world was Lord, L-A-W-D, not Lord, but Lord. Lord have mercy. I think Lord have mercy may be another way of saying bless your heart. But uh, <laughs> Dr. May would use that expression a lot. And when he graded a paper, he had a red ink pen. He must have had a drawer full of red ink pens because he put a big red circle around something on a paper that wasn't just right. And I got back many a paper from him that had lots of red on it. And I could just picture him sitting at his desk in his house, reading over those papers, shaking his head and saying, Lord have mercy. <laughs> Lord have mercy. 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 How do we define the word? According to Webster, and always a good place to start, I think, the act of treating an offender with less. Whoops. There we go again. See if I can keep my hands in the right place here. The act of treating an offender with less severity than she or he deserves. Also, forbearance to injure others when one has the power to do so. The act of relieving suffering or the disposition to relieve it. Some say it's the same as compassion. It's a providential blessing. That was Western. Now, according to the Dictionary of Bible and Religion that I refer to often, mercy and the sense of compassion 
not only on the old and the weak and the sick and the poor, but also in forgiving sinners and withholding the punishment for sins. The chief characteristic, some say, of God is mercy in both the Old and the New Testaments. To show mercy, an empathy for other people, despite what they might have said or done to us, is a cardinal virtue for many Jewish folk and for Christians and for others as well. Love your enemies is Jesus' extension of the practice of mercy to the furthest limits. In his short book, Wishful Thinking, A Seeker's ABC, and I know some of you as well as me, we read Frederick Binkner and have been blessed by many of his writings across the years, his devotional books. But that book, Wishful Thinking, A Seeker's ABC, is a theological smorgasbord of essays on all kinds of topics, all kinds of theological concepts. Mercy is not one of those concepts, but judgment is. And in his essay on judgment, he speaks very eloquently, I think, of mercy, the concept of mercy. So let me paraphrase just a couple of his brief thoughts here. He said, we are all of us judged every day. We are judged by the face that looks back at us from the bathroom mirror. We are judged by the faces of the people we love and by the faces of our children and by our dreams. We are judged by the faces of people we do not love. Each day finds us at the junction of many roads, and we are judged just as much by the roads we have taken as by the roads we have not taken. The New Testament proclaims that at some foreseeable time in the future, God will bring down the final curtain on history, and there will come a day on which all the judgments upon us and all our judgments upon others will themselves be judged. The judge will be Christ. In other words, the one who judges us most finally will be the one who loves us most fully. And then he closes out. He says, romantic love is blind to everything except that which is lovable and lovely. But Christ sees us, Christ's love sees us with terrible clarity. Sees us whole. Christ's love so wishes our joy that it is ruthless against everything that would diminish our joy. The worst sentence love can pass is that we behold the suffering which another has endured for our sake. And that is also our acquittal. The justice and the mercy of the judge are ultimately one. And then someone that I don't read quite as frequently, unless I have the cliff notes somewhere close by Shakespeare. He said in Merchant of Venice, Act 4 and Scene 1, you may remember these words. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesses him that gives and him that takes. Tis mightiest in the mightiest. It becomes the crowned monarch better than his throne, better than his crown. And earthly power doth show likest to God's when mercy seasons justice. And I like that expression too, when mercy seasons justice. In his universal prayer, Pope prays these words, Teach me to feel in others' woes, to hide the fault I see, that mercy I to others show that mercy show to me. 
Words, no doubt, based from our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The gospel lesson for today begins with the call of the tax collector, Matthew. Later, Jesus is at dinner, surrounded by a group of tax collectors and sinners. One scholar has called these folks the rascal class. I sort of like that expression. We've, I've known some in the rascal class and may have spent some time there myself, and maybe you have too. When the super religious folk observed this, they inquired of some of Jesus' followers, why does your teacher eat with these folks, with those kind of people? Jesus overheard this. Jesus often overhears what we're saying and what we're thinking, doesn't he? And he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Or as Eugene Peterson would put it in the message, and even though we've lost Eugene Peterson in recent years, I love what he has to say and the way he paraphrases. He said, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what this scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not to coddle insiders. These words of our Lord call to mind some words from the prophet Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And then some words from Zechariah, another of the minor prophets. Minor not because what he had to say wasn't important, but because he just didn't have as much of it to say as some of the other prophets had to say. But Zechariah, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor. And do not, do not devise evil in your heart against your neighbor. Psalm 112, verse 4. They rise in the darkness as a light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. Mercy I honestly believe, is a brightly colored thread that runs throughout the scriptures. From way back in the Old Testament to the book of Revelation and runs through everything in between. And a large portion, you'll recall, of the book of Genesis is the story of Jacob and his sons, and especially Jacob's favorite son, Joseph. The brothers did him wrong early in the account. And later... In the story, when Joseph had the authority to drop the hammer on all of these folks, he chose mercy over revenge. Mercy is a life word. Revenge is a death word. And it brings death and destruction to the revenger and the revengee, if there is such a word. Getting even whatever that means. Getting even is a dead-end street. But mercy is a highway to life, abundant, and eternal. A guy named Jerry Hart, H-A-R-P-T, likes to tell this story. It's a story that's got a few years on it, but I think the thread of mercy is still here. And some of you may recognize this story, not because you recognize it directly, but because it reminds you of something that maybe happened to you when you were a bit younger. He said, I have duly forgotten 
the name of an old lady who was a customer on my paper route when I was a 12-year-old boy in Marinette, Wisconsin, back in 1954. Yet it seems just like yesterday as she taught me a lesson in forgiveness and mercy that I can only hope to pass on to someone someday. On a mindless Saturday afternoon, a friend and I were throwing rocks onto the roof of the old lady's house from a secluded spot in her backyard. And the object was to throw the rocks as high up on the roof as we could. And they would slide down and then they would take off like missiles across the yard. And we wanted to see how far they would go when they came off the roof's edge. Looked like comets falling from the sky, he said. He said, I found myself a perfectly smooth rock and sent it for a ride. The rock was too smooth and it slipped out of my hand. And as I let it go, it headed straight for a small window on the old lady's back porch. At the sound of fractured glass, we took off from the old lady's backyard faster than any of our missiles had flown off of her roof. He said, I was too scared about getting caught that first night to be concerned about the old lady with the broken porch window. However, a few days later, when I was sure I hadn't been discovered, I started feeling guilty for her misfortune. She still greeted me with a smile each day when I gave her the paper, but I was no longer able to be comfortable in her presence. I could no longer look her in the eye. I made up my mind that I would save my paper delivery money, and in three weeks I had $7, and I figured $7 is what it would take to repair the cost, the cost of repairing the window. So I put the money in an envelope with a note explaining that I was sorry for breaking her window and hoped that $7 would cover the cost of repairs. I waited until it was dark, snuck up to the old lady's house, and put the envelope of retribution through the letter slot in her door. And I don't know if you remember ever had a house with a letter slot in the door. My soul felt redeemed, he said, and I couldn't wait for the freedom of once again looking her straight in the eye. The next day I handed her the paper and I was able to return the warm smile I was receiving from her. She thanked me for the paper and then asked if I would wait a second. She said, I have something for you. It was a bag of cookies, and I proceeded to thank her for the cookies and to move on with my paper route. After several cookies, he said, I found an envelope in the bag, and I pulled it out, opened it up, and I was stunned. Inside was the $7 and a short note that said, I'm proud of you. Blessed are the merciful. Maybe in just some small ways sometimes. Maybe you can remember a story like that in, in your past. And now a more current mercy story, not brand new, but from 2016. You might remember this as well. Officer Chuck Thomas of the Homestead Police Department in Pennsylvania told ABC News that he and three others had stopped for dinner at the Eaton Park restaurant on Friday, July the 7th, the day after a shooter in Dallas, Texas, had killed five police officers and injured 11 other people. A male and female were going to be seated across from us, he said, and The male acted like, I don't want to be there. And it sort of drew my attention, Officer Thomas said, and we made eye contact. And he told me by his body language and his eyes that he did not want to have anything to do with the police. I looked over him and said, you don't have to worry about it. We won't hurt you. And the guy said, no, I'm I'm good. I don't want to sit there. So a server at the Eat and Park, a server named Jessie, she told an ABC News affiliate about what happened. She said a table goes to sit down and the guy looks over at the police officers and was like, no, I don't want to sit there. So they got moved completely opposite across the restaurant as far away as we could put them. Officer Thomas said, we get stuff like this all the time and you brush it off. 
But he said he felt like reaching out after what had happened in Dallas. Thomas said he wanted to leave those two folks and know, but he was unsure how to go about it. And then he decided, well, maybe I'll pick up their check and scribble a message on the receipt. So he paid for their dinner, and he thanked them for their support. He left a $10 tip for, for Jesse. He said what it really came down to ultimately was, I had to let them know we got to better the relationship between police and community. The day after Dallas, he said it was tight. You could feel the tension in the air. A lot of people did come to us and they thanked us and they shook our hand and they embraced us and they spoke of their sorrow. He said this was the only negative experience of the day. Ultimately, we're here for you, he said. This us against them mentality. Got to change that. And then he said he paid the tab while he was on the way out and that the server later told him that the couple was thrown back by it. That's what mercy will do to folks. It'll throw them back, make them uncomfortable. How can we, to borrow the words of the hymn writer, look on the very dying form of one who suffered there for you and for me on a cross for us? Can we honestly say that that vision of mercy does not make us uncomfortable? Mercy is a wonderful Word of life. Mercy leads to the gift of life, abundant life now, eternal life now and forever. It appears to me that being uncomfortable is a small price to pay for such a gift. Amen.